Johnson. And we're just uh, two old kind of sort of bald guys that sit around and talk. I have some hair. You've got more hair I just than wanted I to do, be now. Sure. <laughs> You've definitely got more because hair. Because my wife I... won't let me shave it all. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you today, my friend? I'm doing good. I hope you've had a good day so far. I have. I have. It's uh, been a good day. Got a lot done and, you know, it's been a little overcast. Looks like we had a storm a-brewing, but. Yeah. That's pretty much the last month. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you were talking about your. Uh, my new duck boots. Yeah. Yeah, good timing on those, I Warm guess. them every day for two months. <laughs> so that's an Every wet day we've had for <laughs> two months. But the ground has been wet for a while. Praise the Lord. Pretty flowers in the spring. Yeah, that's true. I, as a matter of fact, I think it's probably all over the southeast. I was talking to my mom the other day. She was saying she lives in Florida, and uh, it's like one of the wettest Florida they've had in a lot. It's usually pretty dry in the winter down there. Yeah. They don't get much rain. They've had quite a bit of rain. So, well, it rained out my race yesterday. Oh, yeah. Completely didn't they? They finished it. They though, actually right? finished it after midnight. I you think. You want to tell everybody what your race is? The Daytona 500. Henceforth, <laughs> <laughs> no. forever more known as the Arnie 500. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I've, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to them changing the name of the race. I, I'd be okay with that. But I don't your think guy, anybody else would, but <laughs> but your guy didn't was your guy in that huge yeah, pile up in the end. I already have a guy now. I need to get yeah. a new guy. You know, I don't know. I just I've kind of always enjoyed racing, and uh, I don't really keep up with it that much. That's the one race I watch every year. Yeah. That one. And uh, anyway, yeah. it was fun. It was actually a fun, entertaining race. It had a it was like six hour delay. Because of the rain, but uh, yeah, nothing like driving 500 miles in a circle ended up in the place where you started, yeah, and in the rain. <laughs> I'm just now, this if, if we got letters and stuff, we oh, would get yeah, a letter. You're gonna get bombarded. I'm joking, I'm you actually forgot most of our listeners are probably South Knoxville <laughs> guys, I'm, right? I actually enjoy, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not like a huge fan that watches it, but I, I appreciate it. I used to follow it really closely as a kid, yeah, so I was joking, all right, so. What are we talking about today? Um, if we were going to give uh, a one word thing to it, temptation. But but to expand the context of that, the, the whole point of the Christian life is a relationship, right? I mean, God designed us so that we might enjoy a relationship with him, that through that relationship, he could demonstrate uh, his character, that he could pour out upon us uh, all of that goodness and mercy and grace uh, that defines and makes up who he is. And so uh, we navigate through life in the middle of this relationship. Uh, and the thing that gets in the way of that is sin. And we take sin way too lightly. We're very cavalier about sin until it comes to the consequence of it. Uh, we don't tend to to address it until there's some reason uh, that it hits us in the face or that it causes us pain or that it becomes a um, something public that is embarrassing to us. Otherwise, we just kind of let it slide. And when we do that, what we find is, is this relationship that we profess to be the central core of everything that we are is, is hurt by that. And so, you know, it's like we wander around and we wonder why we don't hear God, why we don't sense His will, why we don't experience these overwhelming moves of His Spirit 
And the reality is often that we're just not dealing with sin uh, in the way that we ought to. We learn to tolerate it. Uh, we tolerate it in our world. We tolerate it in our churches. We tolerate it in ourselves. And because of that, we have problems in our relationship with God. Absolutely. I totally agree. Um, you know, I mean, that's the one thing that separates us from God. Right. It's a very serious, I mean, that's it. That's yeah. that's our problem. So right. it's temptation. Can we view that as like the doorstep to the into the thing that separates us from God? The one thing that we can't afford to have in our lives. Exactly. And that's the point. Sin is the problem. Uh, and so when something happens that it wakes us up, you know, the alarm clock goes off. Um, there is some, unfortunately, it's when some consequence hits, when we become in, publicly embarrassed, when there's something like that that happens. But hopefully when the conviction of the Holy Spirit tenderizes our hearts, okay, now it's time to deal with it. And so the way we deal with sin initially is by repentance, right? Uh, we confess our sin before God. There is a there is not just a, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, don't spank me. You know, as a little kid, I said, oh, Mama, don't spank me, don't spank me. Um, there's more to repentance than that. A repentance yeah. is a turning away from the thing. And so repentance, okay, so now we repent of this sin we desire for our relationship to be restored, and we begin to make our way through life again, walking in this relationship with God. Okay, so the question then becomes, how do I avoid that happening? Once I have repented and my, my life is now on a right course again with God, how do I avoid that happening? And, and the issue is to learn to deal with temptation, to recognize what it is, how the devil uses it, how that is leading to sin, because the reality is we never commit a sin that at some point was not a temptation. Correct. Every sin we commit starts at a point of temptation. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's really important to recognize that. So if I, if I hate ice cream, then I'm probably not going to go out and buy a half gallon of ice cream and eat it in one setting. Right. True. It's the the temptation is the entry into leading us down that path to sin. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the whole point of temptation, it is tempting us, it is calling us, it is enticing us yeah. to bite into, uh, if you'll excuse yeah. me, <laughs> like to that. bite into and to become engaged in believing something thinking something, speaking something, or doing something that's outside the bounds of God, outside the bounds of His character and His purpose for us, and in short, what it means for us to walk in relationship with Him. So it's this enticement, this drawing away uh, to take a bite into something that, that we shouldn't and to go somewhere that we shouldn't. All right, so, so what is our first step to being able to, so for us to understand it, we've got to be able to identify temptation. So right. Um, how do we identify? Well, let's start at the beginning. We'll start in Genesis at the, uh, the, the granddaddy of them all, right? Yeah. Uh, right. The temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden of course, you know, I mean, we're supposed to be like, um, uh, politically correct, right? So I don't know why we say Adam and Eve because Eve was tempted first, right? So we always say the temptation <laughs> of Adam and Eve, the temptation of Eve, and Adam. But, okay. but I think there's something that we can learn from that and exactly what it is the devil is aiming at, uh, the strings, if you will, that he's playing in our nature. 
uh, to cause us to turn away from God and to and to buy what He's selling, and to find ourselves in that position where we are being moved from temptation to sin. So I'll just I'm just going to read from chapter three uh, of Genesis, starting in verse one. It says now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and He said to the woman. Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, And that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So there you have the granddaddy of them all, the entrance of temptation and sin into the world. God had created Adam and Eve. They were walking in uh, fellowship and relationship with him in the garden, uh, a unique situation. There was, there was no sin or suffering or pain that was there. Uh, they were given that one directive, and we've mentioned that before, not to be thought of just as some kind of arbitrary law, but this one directive and opportunity for them to show devotion to demonstrate that, yes, they are in some level thankful and appreciative of this God uh, and and willing to be devoted to Him instead of taking things into into their own hands. So we have the devil, and he comes along and he tempts Eve. And it's interesting that it says of the fruit that it's good. Uh, So at one level, he appeals then to uh, the ability to satisfy, to satisfy urges. We see that it's eye-catching, you know, it's pleasant to the sight. Uh, So it makes a promise. There's some kind of promise that is there that he gets Eve to believe will be fulfilled, that it's desirable, that it's something that you would want. I mean, so it it seems like it'll satisfy desire. There's a promise attached to it, and that it is then something that you would really, really want, and that it'll make you wise. In other words, it will be, it will deliver, it will be good for you. Yeah. Okay, so you have those basics of what the fruit does to appeal. But if we think of that a little bit deeper, then we begin to see the things in man that he is appealing to. For example, here, here's the first tune or the first string that he's playing, the first chord, however you want to think of it. Envy and entitlement. Um. Here is this God, Eve, and he has something. He knows something. There is something that he is withholding from you. To stir in that human nature the desire of wanting more than you have. Now, again, Eve is in the Garden of Eden. She is in paradise She does not know pain. She does not know sickness. She does not know fear. She does not know sorrow. She does not know trouble. She does not know anything except every need being met and walking in the presence of God. That's all she knows. But to to see how strong a thing that is, he, he excites in her the idea of envy, but not just envy, entitlement. There's this implication that you ought to have this. Uh, God, did God really say that? Well, that was oh. his that that was his first comment to her. 
Did God actually tell you you couldn't? Yeah. I mean, so he's planted doubt of what God actually told him. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and then this idea of of you sh- this implication that you should have this. God knows that if you eat of this, you're going to know the difference in good and evil. Now, the implication there, or some may say it's even explicit, is that um, you're entitled to this. That's really interesting. Why does he have it and you don't? Right. Well, I think that that's an interesting word right there that I agree with. This this thought of entitlement that was, you know, kind of manipulated into Eve's mind that you're entitled to it. Well, you know, I mean, he goes on and says, you know, if you eat it, you're going to be like God. You deserve this. You deserve it. You right? deserve this. So he's he's stimulating unrest. He's providing a catalyst for chaos now. Here's this here's this question. I've tapped into you, what you deserve. Um and all along what God had designed, God was never withholding anything from them. But as you read scripture, you see that the way God deals with us in relationship is he reveals himself to us over time. Our sanctification, we we focus so much on the idea of our sanctification being that we are becoming like Christ. Uh, but maybe another or even better way to look at that is we are coming to know Christ more, more so than just focusing on the fact that, that I am becoming like him. It is the idea that I am growing in my capacity to know him, to to understand his ways, to have knowledge, to have understanding, uh, and then to live in this life with wisdom and even in that life eternally with wisdom. So God had designed this for them to have these things, but for it to be something that exper- to be experienced over time. But the devil comes along and says, wait a minute. You, you, you deserve, deserve it all this. right now. You deserve this. Now think about our day and age. What are what are two of the things that really work against peace and harmony in our world? Envy and entitlement. Somebody has something that I deserve. And our politicians, they play that they play on big. It. Oh, yeah. You know, if somebody has something, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it because they must have somehow stepped over you to get it. Uh, somehow that person in power over you or that person above you, uh, they are withholding something from you and you are entitled to have that by any means, whether it means breaking their heart or breaking through the glass on their storefront, uh, you are entitled to that. So it's playing that same chord. So that's a a constant. A second one would be, um, that your feelings equal morality. Um, so he tells Eve, you will know the difference in right and wrong. So the idea there is not just a cognitive understanding. There there is this notion of the idea that you will know right and wrong. God is saying what right and wrong is, but you will know right or wrong. He's keeping this from you so that he can dictate to you how you should live, how you should think, how you should feel. But if you eat of this fruit, if you if you break this bond of trust with him who is deceiving you, then you will be able to be the arbiter of your own morality. So what you think, what you feel will be right. Uh, and he knows that. So he doesn't want you to have that same power that he has. So 
he is setting up a situation where he's promising her that she'll be able to follow her own moral compass. Yeah. Well, that, uh, isn't that go back to, uh, you know, that's our, all, all our struggle, right? We want to own our own destiny. We want to own our own everything, right? That's part of this sin nature, this, um, selfishness. I use that word. I, I bet we haven't had a podcast yet that I haven't used that <laughs> word at some point. In it. But it's root of sin, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the pursuit of that. And if I have a situation in my mind, if I, if I deceive myself to believe that I can actually decide what my morality is, then I am able to take the edge off the conviction that comes when I know when I'm doing wrong. Uh, there's enough knowledge even in a lost man, Romans tells us, that there's a knowledge of God and a, a vestige at least of right and wrong. And so then when I act outside of that, I have some kind of pain, some kind of remorse, some kind of warning signal. Well, the more that I can convince myself that something is good or acceptable or at least tolerable, then I can act in that way that I desire to act, and I don't feel so bad yeah, about don't it. Have a you can do it with a clear conscience. Yeah. Like, well, and, clear conscience. Yeah. And over and over and over in six or at least six times in scripture, there's this, there's the notion of the idea of men doing what is right in their own eyes. Yeah. Uh, more if you add in phrases like we're all like sheep going astray, you know, we, we wandered off in our own way. But when you look at those uh, passages that talk about men doing what's right in their own eyes, uh, it talks about worship, about our civil behavior, about our inner character and our need for instruction. And so what men want to do, they want to worship the way they want to worship, not necessarily the way God did, behave civilly in society the way they think is right and should be fair. Uh, their inner character, I, I don't want anybody to tell me how I should feel about me or myself. I'm the greatest thing that ever walked on the earth. And the more <laughs> I believe that, the better my life will be. Yeah. And I don't have to be taught. I'll, I'll teach myself. I'll find the information. I'll decide who I think God is, who I think I am, and how the two of us will dance together. So we had uh, talked earlier just briefly about what we were going to talk about today, and I'd made the comment about uh, sin doesn't typically come marching through the front door with a megaphone. But I thought it was interesting, your thoughts there. That oh, you're, you're talking about that... Um, Temptation. I'm temptation sorry. Temptation doesn't, doesn't Temptation doesn't, doesn't say, right? Walk in the door with a megaphone and say, "Look what I got." I thought it was really interesting. You were like, "Actually, it does." Go. Yeah, well, because what you were saying is, is that you know maybe maybe temptation is more subtle than that, right? And I agree, it's more subtle than that. But what I said is, is that it at least starts with, you know, hey, it's like the carnival barker. Come one, come all. Taste of this shiny, delicious apple that will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Come and taste this. So temptation does it do that. It starts there. But then at the point of our resistance, it becomes more subtle. Yes. That's yes. when that's when we begin to get the when when we take any kind of stand against it, that's when it begins to weave. If the if the sales pitch works, there's no need for subtlety. But as long as the as long as there is any level of resistance, uh, then well, the devil begins to be crafty. Yeah, well, and that's kind of what we see there in the garden. 
because he comes right out with the statement, did God really tell you that? So he's challenged what God said, big picture, and then he comes back with the the little nuance, more subtle yeah. conversation with Eve. Uh, and, and if you think about, it's easy to gloss past that, but if you think about how utterly rebellious that really is, right. Um, we can gloss past that and kind of think it is as an innocuous kind of thing. But for me in my mind to formulate morality, to try to think about what's right and wrong, or to dare I say what's right and wrong for me in my life, uh, that is a an incredibly rebellious act toward God because I am at every point that my morality diverges from God's, I am utterly disrespecting him. I am utterly denying his deity. I am utterly uh, refusing to embrace the the goodness that is his character and, and trading it for such a such a paltry and evil substitute which is which is my own. Uh, instead, we are designed to receive God's character as as revealed truth. He is revealing himself to us, and he is speaking to us both in his Holy Spirit in our hearts through his word, and he is revealing to us who he is and what truly is right and wrong. So you have, uh, he, he's addressing, or the devil is speaking to envy and entitlement, to the idea and the uh, temptation to let my feelings be my morality for me to determine right and wrong. Another one would be uh, the deception that I have power and control. Uh, you know, that you will be like God uh, and that my highest joy would then be me living life my way in my time on my own. And, and instead of being designed as we are to embrace God's timing, to embrace God's character, to embrace God's power, I, I can relax in God's power. When I submit to God, there is a level that I can just relax. But the devil says, no, you know, your power, you do it. You take control. And, and that is uh, another ultimate delusion. You know, you and I can't control anything. Uh, we can't control the number of hairs on our head, the number of minutes of our life. Uh, we can't control any of that. But when the devil tells us that, hey, it will be a good way to experience life for you to try to do that, then that is an essence of temptation. Again, um, think about in our culture, in our world today, isn't it about power? You know, who has power? Do you have power of your vote? This politician will empower you over somebody else, uh, somebody that you feel like has taken power from you. They'll give you power back. They'll give you control. They'll put you on the top of the heap. Uh, so, again, another very basic thing. Uh, at the heart of that is you can't trust God. Um, God's not trustworthy. Well, yeah, absolutely. So if you're having this temptation i mean that's that is the temptation to control your own life to control everything because god can't do it as good as we can right. as, as silly as that seems right yeah and he doesn't mean what he says right you can't you, you know god said all of this is for you all of this in this garden is for you don't eat this one fruit if you eat this fruit, you will die. You will die. They don't know what death is. Right. Uh, maybe they grasp at some level no existence, uh, no paradise. No. Maybe they grasp something. But 
if you do this, you will die. I don't trust God. This serpent who has appealed to my envy and my desire for entitlement, uh, who has told me that basically I'll be like God. I can determine what's right or wrong for me, what I want to do, what I want to enjoy, what I want to cast away, all those kinds of things. I can do that. I will have control and power. And God said, if I did that, I'll die. Well, he's just trying to keep all of this stuff from me. I can't trust God. So therefore, I'm going to do that. Well, in our lives, think about that. Every time we sin, every time we fall to temptation, we are saying, God, I don't trust you. God, I don't believe you. I don't think you're a deity, <laughs> a man of your word, if you will. I don't, think, I don't think you're a God who does what he says he will do. And that's the essence of faith. Can I believe him or can I not? Yeah, that, that adds a whole new... When you, when you think in terms of that, that adds a whole new gravity to what we're doing when we give in to temptation and sin, right? Where, and, and that, well, it, what that does is that it uh, amplifies what you had said earlier about, uh, um, you know, what an affront to God that is, sin. Mm -hmm. And um, I've just never thought of it in term, in those terms that, even the smallest of sins, yeah. I can do this better than you, God. I can't trust you with this in my life. Exactly. I can make those decisions. I can do those things better than you can. I can provide for whatever I need at the moment better than God can. Yeah, and the temptation is doubt God. Right. Um Maybe in our context, certainly not Eve's, but in our context, we can play back in our mind when circumstances didn't turn out the way we wanted them to, when questions weren't answered as quickly as we thought they should be, when the promises that we see in Scripture and that we've heard the preacher rail about, uh, we don't see them materialize in a way that we note right away. And so there is this subtlety in the back of our mind you know, do I trust him? And now we don't we don't consciously go. You know what, God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to do right. this. But but a but in a, in a very more subdued way, in our subconscious experience, we, we're 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 not seeing that answered. And so what do we do? Well, I'll just take care of this. I'll take care of it myself. I'll I'll do this. Um, I'll I'll take it into my own hands. I'll and in doing that. I may or may not recognize that I'm venturing outside of his bounds. I'm sure, certainly pushing the boundaries of his patience and his promises because my spirit knows better than that. And um, I stop discerning his bewares and his blessings. You know, if I trust his word and he says, don't touch, don't taste, don't tarry in that, but I do then I'm discounting it. I'm also discounting the fact that he said, trust me, seek me first, and I'll add all these blessings to you. So he's tapping into that tendency of man 
to not trust God, whether it's through impatience or rebellion or lust or whatever it may be. That, at that point, it doesn't matter what it is. The bottom line is there is this seed of doubt that I can't trust God, so now temptation has a voice. Absolutely. Okay, and the last the last part of this, there's certainly more that we could yeah. explore. Uh, there's, there's so much more, is uh, the twisting of Scripture. You know, has God really said... An interesting little side note that I've heard many people pontificate on is this idea that, you know, Eve says, God said, don't taste it or touch it, <laughs> you know, when when God didn't say that. So, you know, different people had different takes on that. But the, the twisting of Scripture, where the devil takes the Word of God, he takes light, he takes truth, and he turns it just enough, uh, just tweaks it just a little, enough for man to be able to go, huh, well, now all of this stuff is reverberating, this envy that has been excited, this thought of, you know what, I am entitled. Why is God keeping something that good from me? And, and why would I not be able to know the difference in good and evil? Why would I not be able to make those choices? Why does God get to make those choices? My life is my life. God made me. So why shouldn't I be able to do what I want to do in the way I want to do it? I should have some power. I should have some control. It's my life. I only live once. And, you know, God has made this promise, but look at that fruit. It's desirable. It, it, it appeals to my eye. It may, there's a promise that's within that fruit of something special that I'll be able to have. And so maybe, maybe God really didn't mean exactly what he said. So to just twist that word just enough. Now that's that's why I go absolutely berserk sometimes. Maybe being what we would call nitpicky over <laughs> things that I hear said right. theologically. Uh, oh, you know, it's just benign. It's just a misspeaking uh, of just a no, no, no. When you take light and you twist it to suit your purpose, whether that's to get more seat or more rears in the seats or more applause or whatever it may be or more dollars in the budget, more whatever fuzzies, it may be. Whatever. Uh, whatever it may be. When you turn that that way, you are creating a doorway for temptation to lead into sin. That's exactly what happened. The Scripture was mishandled. That's one thing that should terrify us as preachers and teachers and Christians is to mishandle the Word of God I don't, because it creates a, ven a venue for yeah, temptation. And I don't think that can be overstated, that right there. That, you know, <laughs> uh, that's one of our weapons against temptation is what God said, what He actually said, what He meant, in his word, that's one of our greatest weapons against temptation. And to take that and twist it and to change the meaning yeah. is, uh, again, can't be overstated. Yeah, exactly right. And that's what, um, in part two, that we're going to look at next time, uh, we'll see that that's exactly what Jesus did. Yeah. Uh, the devil portrays, you know, he, he, he meets his match. He, he twists the ideas, the notions of God just a little in the company of Jesus because he believes that Jesus is physically worn down. He's isolated. He's got him in a corner. He's uh, in a 
in a period of physical deprivation there in the wilderness. And so I'm going to get him. I'm going to come and I'm going to bring light to him and I'm going to get him on his own grounds. And what Jesus does is he answers with a right interpretation of Scripture. And so that provides the protection against temptation. Yeah. Obviously, uh, we've got a lot more to talk about about this subject of temptation. So we are going to do... uh, continue this in a uh, part two in our next episode. Right. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, and let's let's just summarize just a little bit to bring this around. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. You all will not hear this on the podcast. Um, how we have fought through this. Uh, I, I know the silky smooth tones of our conversation that have come through <laughs> on other podcasts might belie this. The devil hates us talking about this. Yeah. Uh, there have been interruptions and quirks and fo- all kinds of stuff, uh, but we are not going to allow the devil to win. Uh, there's a temptation to just kind of stop and regroup and we'll start next week. We're not going to do that. The reality is, is that the relationship we have with God is too important and sin is too big of a hurdle to overcome and to live with. And we've tolerated it for too long in our world, in our churches, in our lives, in our society. We've just let our culture overrun it. We've learned to overlook it and be comfortable with it and it needs to be cut off. And so once we do that, this is a call to repentance. But it's also a call now, once we start down the right path, to avoid temptation. And we see there in the garden this appeal to things in man that are breakable, this idea that we can become so envious and feel like entitled, that we want to have the power and we want to have the say, instead of just simply submitting to God. And the reality is we can trust God. And that that notion needs to be cut off at the level of temptation, not once it is already manifested into sin. The struggle and the heartache that Adam and Eve face because it moves from temptation to sin is something that we want to avoid. God's given us His Word, those accounts, so that we can avoid that. And so instead of allowing Scripture to be twisted, to apply it rightly, which is what we hope to do in the next one, to kind of walk through, okay, a little bit more about where this comes from, Uh, where it originates from, and then how we deal with it. Very good. Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to the uh, continuation of this uh, uh, subject. And uh, thank you. Love you. Love you, brother. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Dead Men Talk.